for the uninitiated, which is most of you, uh, what SciFight is, is a place where we bring together some of the finest minds from the world of science and comedy, and we make them debate very serious issues in a ridiculous way. It's very much like the UN, except we're way more sober. Warning, explicit language ahead. Animals' um, reproductive habits are mentioned in this episode. And also a trigger warning about pandas for the same reason. So if you love pandas, well, they're a case in point for this science comedy debate's central question. Does nature know best? Thanks to Atlanta Colley for allowing us to share with you this sci-fi science comedy debate. And join us in December for a special holiday edition that will tackle a question for the ages. Does Santa exist? For more information and tickets, check out SciFight on Facebook, and you'll find a link to the page in the show notes. This week is fun and funny, but let's be real. In mid-November 2019, Australia is going through a crisis of unprecedented proportions. You've all heard the news, no doubt, about the bushfires currently raging across the Australian continent. So please use this episode as release and escape catharsis and community and if you're able please find a link to the charities and organizations currently saving lives and caring for victims of the bushfires in the show notes thank you climactic community for being the amazing people you are stay safe we love you there are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. It's the rate that's a great concern. And what do you put that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say... The will to act is itself a renewable resource. Now, my name is Atlanta. I'll be your host and adjudicator for this evening. Uh, My job is basically to keep the whole thing as civilised as possible uh, and avoid any litigation. Tonight, we are here to debate whether or not nature knows best. And we have to ask ourselves, did Mother Nature get it right first go? Is every step that we have taken to enhance and amend and upsize the fruits of Mother Nature an abomination? What would Mother Nature say about the tutti-frutti triple melon hot fudge choc apocalypse? I mean, she'd be shaking her head for sure. All Mother Nature created... She also created sunsets and she created avocados and... Taika Waititi, you know? But she also created genital warts and leeches and people who aren't Taika Waititi. So it's very much a zero-sum game. Now, uh, to resolve this dilemma of our debating topic tonight, we reached out to some of the finest minds of our generation to solve it. Um, They were all at trivia, uh, but these guys had nothing else on. Please make some noise for the affirmative. It's Eddie Brailsford. Brianna Williams. Brianna Williams. (laughs) Jess Moyer. And the team debating that nature needs a helping hand. It is Anna Aveninen. Ben McKenzie. And Alastair Tremblay-Burchell. 
Beautiful, we're all here. We've got 100% of our debaters. Wasn't 100% sure that was going to happen. Very pleased to see everyone made it out of the green room. We'll kick off, we'll uh, say hello to all of our debaters. Um, we'll start with you, Eddie. Hello. Welcome to Sci Fight. Hello. Now, this is your second Sci Fight. Yes. Yes. Uh, what convinced you uh, to come back again? I, I suppose I'm a masochist. Okay. Um, and free drinks. Yeah. Um, and I enjoy being right. Okay. <laughs> yes, which I was last time. It's amazing. You've been right on every topic yes, I've ever exactly. talked to you about. It's just, what are the coincidences? Well, welcome back to Sci-Fi. Bree, hello. Oh, hi. Hello. Hello. <laughs> You've come back too, which is excellent. Yes. Um, now, I hear that you were moving today. What is the worst thing about moving? Um, well, as I was getting ready to come here 30 minutes ago... I realised that all of my um, bras and shoes were still um, encumbered by boxes and packed away. And it was just a really just not fun walk to my car. But I did meet one of my new neighbours. Um, <laughs> and he was so friendly. <laughs> anyway, please don't call the police on me. <laughs> What a great start to a debate. Excellent. Thank you so much for making it. We very much appreciate it. <laughs> Jess, hello. Hello. This is your second sci-fi as well, isn't it? Correct. It is. Um, now, Jess is probably the most experienced debater out of all of us. She, she actually did real debating with real people. <laughs> real debating? <laughs> yes. Oh, no. I've lied to everyone. Um, what's the weirdest debating topic you've ever had to debate? Yesterday I had a debate uh, with my kids about whether a uh, feline was a kind of train. Uh, <laughs> that is... I see... But I assume they got that from V-Line. Is that the... Mm. That's so great. Well, I got it from V-Line. Okay. <laughs> Who won the debate? It's still happening. Okay. <laughs> It doesn't end so much as people just run out of energy. Okay, great. We'll leave it there. We'll move over to the negative. Hello, Anna. Hello. You look so worried just there. <laughs> just, just a little. It's going to be okay. Most of our audience don't bite. One does. Um, now, uh, you're a chemist, which is great to have uh, some chemistry knowledge on the debate tonight. Um, wow. <laughs> Did you lie to me? Are you not a chemist? Well, I am a chemist, but it's, you know, the more knowledge you have, the less you know, right? Okay. Yeah. It's not technically true, though, is it? <laughs> well, the less useful stuff, you know, I guess. Okay, well, that's, that's for the audience to decide. Um, what is the hottest topic of debate among chemists? It's probably how much shit we can pile on the biologists until they start uh, studying it. I see. <laughs> Any biologists in tonight? Okay. Hi, Adele. You've, you've annoyed two biologists in the room. I don't know. Are you the bitey type? Okay, we'll find out after the show. Ben, hello. Hello. Um, thank you for coming back to Sci-Fi. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Uh, now, if you could debate anyone in the world, yeah. who, who would you debate? Um, a whale. A whale. Yeah, because it would be a really long debate. And I could have a bit of a nap while they were talking. It'd be great. Is this debate taking place on land or in the sea? No, in the sea. I mean, I don't want to disadvantage the whale. <laughs> so how are you taking a nap 
In the sea. Well, I'm floating on top of the sea. Okay. I, I don't know why I've imagined such an elaborate scenario. <laughs> but I guess if it's in your imagination, you have an unlimited budget, so I'm going to use it. <laughs> That's um, a very good point. I'm in a submarine. There you go. I'm in a, I'm in a whale-shaped okay. submarine, and I need a whale translation device so that uh-huh. it seems like it's another whale having the debate. Okay. But I just say my part's really at normal human speed, and then it takes ages, and that's when I have my nap. Okay. Yeah. I have so many more questions about this. <laughs> but we're going to take it offline because we only have the room for an hour and a half. Okay. All right. <laughs> we have Pastor Alistair. Hello. Hello, Atlanta. How are you? Hello, Hi. everybody. Hello, Alistair. Everyone together. <laughs> Hello, Alistair. Good Hello, job. class. <laughs> <laughs> you got to ask for it, guys. You, you didn't You're debating the whales. Yeah, these people are adjudicating your performance tonight. You should talk to them. Um, I was going to ask what your favorite thing uh, Mother Nature ever made was. What the greatest thing Mother Nature well, ever yeah, made? Yeah, what your favorite thing is, yeah. Gosh, I mean... I saw a slug hide its eyes the other day <laughs> and then cover itself with ooze. Um, but, and then there's that eel. You know that eel that can just make that slime? The hagfish. Yeah. It just makes a slime that's based on, you know, it's, it's only got a tiny bit of molecular structure, uh-huh. but it's enough that if you just keep filling it with water, it gets so wide that you would, could essentially drown in it. But... So your, you probably wouldn't. your favorite things are mainly slime-based natural creations. I've been hanging out with a toddler, um, <laughs> and everything is slime at the moment. Okay, well, I, I, hope, I hope that comes in handy for tonight's debate. Mm-hmm. Let's find out how. Um, okay, now the rules of tonight's debate. Everyone knows we have more fun with rules, so here are the, d- the rules. Now, I'm asking the teams to maintain a natural degree of kindness throughout the debate. Uh, <laughs> Oh, dear. (laughs) Uh, Please sling objections, but not ad hominems. Uh, Please do not defame the opposition. Uh, We're all at the end of the night on team comedy. So that's good. I I made them hug in the green room. They still resent me for it. Um, Now, each debater has eight minutes to present their case. Third speakers have ten minutes. Uh, If anyone goes over, I will start singing, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. (laughs) And that's not really fair on anyone. Um, (laughs) At the end of the debate, the audience, you guys will be called on to decide who was the superior team at the end of the debate. And I will use my ears to determine uh, who you cheer louder for. Yes, it's not a perfect system. And no, I'm not changing it. Uh, All debaters uh, promised before the gig that if they lose, they will be providing piggybacks to the audience home tonight. So the stakes are high. All right, we're going to start the debate. (laughs) Our very first speaker for the affirmative is Eddie Brelsford. Now, he won a high distinction in the Australian maths competition in grade four. And uh, despite having achieved some stuff since, has never truly felt the joy that he felt on that day. (laughs) He works as an engineer and a teacher, and he likes to tell people that he's taller in real life. Please make some noise for Eddie Brailsford. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome and hello and welcome to tonight's sci-fi debate. Tonight we on the affirmative team will prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that nature knows best. While the opposition will, through a series of spurious arguments, 
and oxymoronic distractions try to convince you otherwise. Unfortunately for them, of course, they are fighting a fight that was lost some 400 years ago. To show you what I mean, tonight I'll take you on a journey through the history of science, and I'll remind you of the depths of human stupidity throughout the ages. And I'll show you that it's only by appealing to the all-knowing, eternally unbiased, ever-ambivalent force of nature that we've been able to pull ourselves out of the dark ages and into the happy and healthy hipsterdom that we now find ourselves in. Because you see, good friends of science, whether you realize it or not, you all already agree with us. You may not see it, but you do believe that nature knows best. The problem is that you've been brainwashed, hoodwinked, bamboozled by the public discourse. You've been led to believe that this word nature means something other than what it does. Maybe when somebody says nature knows best, you think they're talking about herbal remedies or the quantum vibrations of their chakras. But none of that pseudoscience has anything to do with nature. Nature is just the collection of all phenomena around us that we can observe with our senses. And as such, nature is the touchstone of truth for all the science that we know and love today. Because it's a fundamental principle of science that you check your ideas against nature. We verify by experiment. This means that the affirmative team is on the side of science, reason, empiricism, and enlightenment, while the negative team are nothing more than a group of pseudoscientific charlatans. <laughs> Indeed, it wouldn't surprise me to learn that the negative team believed in things such as astrology, the ability to tell the future through the movement of the stars. Now, of course, we all know that that's nonsense, but just for their sake, I've gone to the trouble of finding the horoscope for Anna, their first speaker. So, Anna, you are entering a new communication cycle this month, bringing conversations and information and presenting you with pivotal choices, marking a turning point in your destiny. You will find yourself in an argument that you ultimately have no chance of winning. <laughs> you should pause, take a deep breath, and accept the fact that in this case you are simply wrong and that your opponents are correct. The weather will continue mild. But does this mean anything? Of course not. Does anyone here think that this means anything? No. It might sound very nice, but ultimately, if it isn't verified by nature, then it doesn't hold water. Nature knows best. Now, let's pause for a moment and go back a couple of thousand years. Uh, our species has been trying to figure out this world for a long time, so where better to start than with the ancient Greeks? Uh, Plato, Aristotle, that lot. Now, they were a clever bunch, right? Enlightened, civilized, wise, the fathers of philosophy. But they had one problem, which was that they didn't use the scientific method. Instead, they believed that the truth lay with the strongest argument. If it sounded good, then it was right. And this led them to all kinds of interesting ideas. Take Pliny the Elder, for example. Pliny, I love Pliny. Pliny was the writer of the first encyclopedia, and he believed in things such as spontaneous generation, that life arises out of inanimate objects, given the right circumstances. Uh, lambs were thought to grow from weeds. He believed that you could cure baldness by rubbing poo on your head. He believed that you could cure a scorpion's sting by drinking its ashes with a glass of wine. And that bear cubs were born as shapeless lumps and could be licked into form by their mother. 
Now, this way of thinking was passed down by the Greeks and hung around for uh, pretty much until the Enlightenment. And in that time, mankind had plenty of opportunities to come up with all sorts of wild, crazy, and usually downright dangerous ideas. Uh, some gems include that circumcision cures masturbation, uh, that sick people just have too much blood, and so a dose of leeches will set them right. And then, of course, there's the wandering womb. And this is the idea that many of the apparently historical or erratic behaviors displayed by women can be explained by the fact that their womb is a separate organism moving around inside of them, disrupting the natural balance of their body. What's my point with all of this? It's simply that the scientific method is the one and only tool we have to tell which of our ideas are right and which are batshit crazy. Basically, nature is that section at the back of the book which has all the right answers in it. We do our best to come up with an idea and then we flip to the back of the book and see if we're right. We check our ideas against nature because nature knows best. Now, there have been plenty of theories which have fallen by the wayside because nature didn't work that way. Take phrenology, for example. Phrenology is the idea that you can tell everything about a person, their uh, morals and character, intelligence, just through a careful analysis of the shape of their skull. And now, luckily for you, I've had the chance to study phrenology, and so I'll give you a quick demonstration of it here tonight. Take Benjamin McKenzie, the second speaker for the negative team. Now, as a speaker for the negative team, I suppose it's likely he does believe in phrenology, and so perhaps a quick <laughs> analysis will help to show him how fruitless his hopes are here tonight. Uh, now, luckily, Benjamin's skull is quite accessible, so that makes this easier for me. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, uh, yes. Quite a strong combativeness region. An extensive zone of hopefulness here at the back. Yeah, not much in the way of logical thinking or sound argument. Yeah, such a person is nice to have as a friend, but their opinions don't really count for much. There it is. The knob of self-deception. A tragic case. Now, if you lived in the late 1800s, you might believe everything I just said. But as rational thinkers and enlightened civilized people, you know that this theory has been proven wrong. And how is it proven wrong? Through simple experiments, by comparing our ideas to the natural world. Now, you might think that this is all fun and games, but there's more at stake here than an idle comedy debate. There are still plenty of people around the world trying to steal the idea of nature away from science. Flat earthers and homeopaths, the anti-vaxxers, and climate change deniers. Due to the enormous success of the scientific method, there have always been pseudoscientists hanging around the edges, trying to cash in on that success with their unverified methods. Take numerology, for example. Numerology is the idea that you can find hidden meanings in words by assigning numerical values to their letters. Uh, so, for example, if you took Alastair, the third speaker for the negative team, well, his, his full name is Alastair Tremblay Burchell. Now, those initials are ATB, which are the first, 20th, and second letters of the alphabet. He has 24 letters in his name in total and two spaces, and he's the third speaker for the negative team. So those numbers, again, are 1, 2, 2, 3, 20, and 24. Now, if you have a calculator, I invite you to follow along. <laughs> Divide the 24 by 2 to give you 12. Take the 1 to give 11, and then multiply by the 20 to give you 220. Add the second two to give 222 and then multiply by the three. And what do you have? That's right, six, six, six. <laughs> the number of the beast. Coincidence? I think so. <laughs> because while such arithmetic gymnastics might scare the opposition, 
I'm sure they don't scare you. As rational thinkers, you're experienced at telling sound arguments from Boulder Dash. And that's why I'm not relying on astrology or phrenology or numerology to convince you here tonight. I'm relying on the fact that you understand the scientific method. Observe a phenomenon, generate a hypothesis, perform an experiment, and then, crucially, if the evidence doesn't match your predictions, then it's you who is wrong. It's never nature which is wrong. It's you. In the end, scientists must bow to nature. Our job is to understand, predict, and classify nature, but we must accept that ultimately, nature knows best. Eddie Brailsford. I think your skull looks just lovely, Ben. <laughs> Don't you let him get to you. It's a good skull. <laughs> One of the finest. I grew it myself. <laughs> good job. Uh, great. With a little help from my mum. Yeah, I was going to say. Bit rude. Bit rude. And you watered it every night. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, I wanted to share with you, uh, before we move on to our next speaker, uh, I wanted to share some science news from the week. Uh, pigs were very big in the news this week, and I mean that literally. Uh, Chinese farmers have been growing pigs larger and larger in order to keep up with the ever-increasing pork shortages in China. Pigs have been bred to the size of 500 kilograms, making them the size of polar bears. No. <laughs> Bree says no. I'll pass it on. Dear, <laughs> dear the Chinese. Uh, one pig was even bred to the size of 900 kilograms, which it then died from a lack of mobility due to its own obesity. Mood. <laughs> I'm enjoying the one-word random heckles that I... <laughs> Not so much at anyone except the news. It's, it's the good. News. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm trying to take down everyone else. <laughs> just, just in case it's the other team. <laughs> Indiscriminately shooting. It's good. Uh, on the other side of the planet, at the same time, in Paris, uh, pigs have been observed for the first time using rudimentary tools. And I think this no. is... <laughs> Okay, all right. Um, I'll, I'll pass that on. I don't know what you want me to do about that, Brie. Sorry. You're leading this. I was like, she's obviously got something. <laughs> Atlanta, sorry. Hello. Oh. Wait, why are they putting pigs in the Arctic? <laughs> They're not, but uh, they do have digging implements, so if they aim in the right direction... They can, they could... They could dig their own driveway. Um, <laughs> Why are you asking if pigs can drink, dig their own driveway? Uh, it was the polar bear thing. Okay. And then, and, and then I used to be in Canada, and that's all I, I remember okay. is dig, digging driveways. Anyway, is this a, the, a the, I think the one word heckles a way better idea. <laughs> <laughs> I did not foresee being heckled by just sharing some news with you. I mean. <laughs> It's my fault. It is my fault. I take responsibility. I'll take any of you down. <laughs> I do finally decide who wins the debate, Brie. And there's an awful lot of people to piggyback home, is all I'm saying. I think the pig will win. The pig. 
Does anyone want to hear what I had to say next? I, Sorry. I, would, I would like to hear it, please. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. You still have a nice skull. I was just going to postulate on what this means for the future of farming. You know, are we going to see chooks? What are you doing over there? Sorry, I spilled her wine. Is it's that your wine. whole speech soaked in wine? No, it's fine. It's going to be funnier this way. <laughs> I, I don't know what help I can offer you now, Jess. Um, normally the, the people against you are on the other team. Oh dear. Don't do that. That's what caused my problems. <laughs> this is going on a podcast tonight. I don't know how much of this is going to be captured. It's, uh, it's all maybe... right. You can edit podcasts. <laughs> Just cut out the good first third of the show. I think that's necessary. Apparently, I disagree. I thought the first third of the show was excellent. But now's a good time to stop and do some community corner announcements. Now it's time for Climactic Community Corner, where we play voice messages sent to us on Facebook. We're opening up this space for the community to share events, news, thoughts, feelings, all sorts. If you've got a message to share, just send it to us at Climactic Show on Facebook, or hello at climactic.fm. Hi there, Climactic listeners. Ben McKenzie here from Splendid Chaps Productions. We make Night Terrace, a sci-fi comedy audio series starring Jackie Woodburn, also known as Susan from Neighbours. Here's a clip where her character, Dr. Anastasia Black, has been taken into the future by her time-travelling terrace house. What exactly was our solution to the country becoming an unlivable wasteland? We couldn't just sit there and watch our country die. So we built a big spaceship and buggered off. You are standing on the starship Australis. Remember, surfing in the Harold Holt crawling tanks is strictly prohibited. Please enjoy your time on board the Starship Astralis. Get a dog up, you. I hope you enjoyed that little taste of Night Terrace. We're currently trying to crowdfund a third season. Find out how you can help and listen to our first episode for free at nightterrace.com. That's Terrace as in Terrace House. And for another very deserving Kickstarter campaign, Larry Leadbeater is a new picture book about an adorable but rather fussy fairy possum. Larry's a tiny possum with a tremendous problem. He's on a mission to find a home that's just right for him. Loaded with friendship and optimism, Larry's adventure invites us into a world where even the most difficult circumstances can be overcome. With poignant illustrations and a playful tone, Larry Leadbeater aims to put children and their families in a fixing frame of mind. The story's based on the real-life dilemma of the critically endangered Leadbeater's possum. Money from every book sold will be donated to conservation groups working to save the Leadbeater's possum from extinction. A Kickstarter campaign for the book is running right now. We need your help to make it happen. You can find it on kickstarter.com by searching Larry Leadbeater or Joe Watson. There's lots of goodies up for grabs, from books to prints, pins, and note cards. Search Larry Leadbeater or Joe Watson on kickstarter.com or find a link in the show notes. Hi, this is Holly Hammond, Director of the Commons Social Change Library with a resource recommendation for climate activists. 
The Commons Social Change Library is an online collection of resources freely available to anyone with access to the internet. We collect, curate and distribute the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The topics on the Commons Social Change Library include organising, digital campaigning, nonviolent direct action, diversity and inclusion, working in groups, arts and creativity and much more. You can visit us at commonslibrary.org. I'm just going to introduce the next speaker. Does that sound all right? Anna is our next debater. Uh, she a, a, was a chemist, uh, the kind that makes drugs, not the kind that sells them. After nearly poisoning herself, she figured out that she enjoyed writing about chemistry much more than doing it, and she now works at communications for the Royal Australian Chemical Institute. Would you please make some noise for Anna Arthenanen? Hello. I'm Anna. I'm here to bamboozle you. And I'm very offended, good sir, because that horoscope has just described every day of my life. True story, I've been having a back spasm all week for absolutely no good reason whatsoever, so Mother Nature can go get fucked. And that's it. That's my entire argument. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. So I'm a chemist. Do we have any fellow chemists or chemistry lovers in the audience? No? Kind of lukewarm, yeah. Kind of alone up here, just like in real life. <laughs> Yay, thank you. One person. You better vote for me later, one person. <laughs> so um, Eddie makes some really good points. I have nothing against nature. What chemists, like a lot of other scientists, what we do is we make nature better. If it's made of chemicals, we can control it and we can improve it. But I know that chemicals aren't popular nowadays. It's a major pain working in communications for chemistry because it's like having a constant PR disaster. Somebody always hates you. The good days are the ones where they've discovered only one new carcinogen before you've had your first coffee. <laughs> and the bad days are the ones where the carcinogen is your coffee. <laughs> so when we talk about chemicals, we think about these big fuming vats that are just one teeny step away from having like a witch cackling faintly in the background. <laughs> And we think about these big steel drums that are rusted and leaking into this pond full of sad-looking ducks, and one of the ducks is looking straight into your soul like, how could you? <laughs> to save the ducks, we want to return to the world that Mother Nature intended. We turn to alternatives that are natural and organic and chemical-free. And fair enough, what sort of a monster doesn't want to save the sad ducks from their sad chemical fate? There's just one teeny problem. I will now give you a comprehensive list of every item on Earth that is chemical-free. And that's all of them. I trust you're enjoying some drinks right now served by our lovely hosts here at the Howler. No? I'm sucking up to everyone tonight. <laughs> just to, you know. <laughs> if it were up to Mother Nature, you'd be drinking water right now. Or maybe milk. 
The best you could probably hope for is grape juice. Mama Nature thinks that you should drink water and go to bed at sundown. It's thanks to science that we're out here tonight at all and not in the hospital with an E. coli infection because, surprise, the water may or may not have actual literal shit in it. <laughs> Your glass is full of a life-giving ethanol-infused beverage right now thanks to the discovery of some clever ancient chemist. And I betcha you just imagined a dude. Did you know that most ancient brewers were actually women? But let me rein in my inner raging feminist. What's important right now isn't that women's contributions to science have been systematically made invisible throughout the history of science. No, that's not important right now. The point is that we've got beer. It's also thanks to chemistry that we've got our food. The Haber-Bosch process, and stick with me here, it gets a bit dense, but I promise it'll be over soon, like ripping off a Band-Aid. So the Haber-Bosch process captures nitrogen from the atmosphere, right, and converts it into a form that is used in fertilizer and can be absorbed by our crops. That's a lot more difficult than it sounds. This is the most important chemical reaction on Earth. The Haber-Bosch process, an industrial chemical reaction that takes place in one of those big fuming vats in a scary chemical plant, that chemical reaction is the main reason that we can grow enough food to sustain the current population of the Earth. Without the help of chemistry, Mother Nature would have us starve. And I'd like to see how that goes over in family court. <laughs> so the Haber-Bosch process is important enough that it alone has won about two and a half Nobel Prizes. This chemical reaction that sustains the human population is also the reason my blood pressure skyrockets alarmingly when I'm exposed to the term organic. <laughs> to grow stuff organically is to refuse all of the chemistry, the fertilizers, the weed killers, the pesticides, all of these things which together combine to give us better, more consistent crop yields to stave off, oh, you know, famine. The reason behind refusing those things is this notion that those specific chemicals are bad for you just because Mother Nature didn't make them. Well, I think that the natural extension of that argument is that everything that Mother Nature has made must be good for you. And to investigate, I invite you all to go lick some tree frogs, you know, <laughs> for science. This message is not endorsed by SciFite, and SciFite is not liable for any personal damage done to you by licking tree frogs. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. My esteemed colleagues on the affirmative would have you believe that Mother Nature knows best. But if they really, truly believed that, they would refuse to use this microphone that I'm speaking into right now that science has created for you to better hear my voice by. Instead, they would use their Mother Nature-given lungs to feebly shout their arguments at you. Because they won't... I <laughs> well no, no don't it's being recorded because, you have to speak into the because they shouldn't no. because they won't Bree because they won't can I just please I just like one sentence no, no, no. <laughs> because they won't I argue that they're all huge hypocrites and you shouldn't listen to a word they say thank you what?
Avenen. I quite enjoyed, Anna, that you maintained your Finnish accent for every single word except the word organic, uh, in which you did perfect the Australian Oka accent. Well done. That's what she thinks of Australians. That's good. All right, a little bit more uh, science news this week. I'm going to say it fast before Brie gets in. Now, scientists recently discovered a parasitic wasp which parasitizes other parasitic wasps. <laughs> That's a thing. It's kind of like a, a babushka doll if Stephen King was allowed to design children's toys. <laughs> We should, we should have let you get your jokes out before. They're, they're great. <laughs> Just go fast. Go, go fast, go hard, and then go home. Uh, the Crypt Keeper wasp likes to infect the larvae of gall wasp, which bury themselves in the flesh of trees. And what they do is, is they affect, infect the gall wasp, and so when the gall wasp decides to chew its way out of the tree, it manipulates its mind, and so it digs a much smaller hole than is necessary, but still tries to crawl through it, and then just dies, stuck in the tiny hole it's created. And then the, the crypt, uh, crypt keeper just, just drills its way straight through the parasitic wasp and out of the tree. How amazing is that? <laughs> Absolutely not at all. <laughs> and, like, this seems like a relatively complicated way of killing another wasp. You know, like, it's when it was asked... You know, why doesn't it just kill other wasps by, you know, stinging them? The Crypt Keeper said he just really prefers to get into the mind of another wasp. And then straight throughout the other side. <laughs> Scientists note that parasites who parasitise other parasites are super rare in biology. And they're called hyper-manipulators. Meaning if they ever get sick of wasping, uh, there's a job waiting for them at Facebook. <laughs> Our next speaker... <laughs> You've heard from before already <laughs> this evening. Uh, she usually only manipulates for good uh, and also just heckles anyone within earshot. Uh, Brie is a comedian, an improviser, don't know if you picked that up, uh, television star and human woman. Uh, she's from Western Australia. Hello. <laughs> her friends say she's enthusiastic to a degree that they describe her as, please stop shouting. <laughs> she uh, has recently been appearing on Bachelor Unpacked, Yahoo, and regularly performs with the improv comedy troupe, The Big Hoo-Ha. She gets more out of life than you do. Please make some noise for Brianna Williams. Thank you, Atlanta. As for knocking over Jess's wine and ruining Atlanta's monologue before, Lizzo has taught me this year that I don't need to feel bad about myself for anything. Thank you. One woman up the back is like, yes, I stand a non-self-aware queen. Please do. Hello. <laughs> so I'm lucky enough in, in one of my various roles in life in that I get to speak about animals. Everybody loves animals, except for one person I know who's a real bitch. <laughs> and you don't want to be like her, I assume, so everyone loves animals. Now, no, for real, she's like, I don't like animals. And I was like, Jenny, why? She was like, what's to like about them? Jenny sucks. 
But nature doesn't suck. Nature rules. In fact, may I remind you of the 1999 film Forces of Nature, starring Ben Affleck and Sandra Bullock. Without nature, those two would have never gotten together. If you are here to tell me I'm wrong today, well, you hate love. But it's actually a little bit about our relationship with animals that I'd like to talk about tonight. So I'd like to draw a few of my favourite comparisons between animals and humans. I'd like to start with the elephant. Everyone loves elephants. They're pretty great. And great meaning larger immense. I use it in the pejorative sense, Simpsons. <laughs> Thank you, one person who's laughed at me twice. I love you. <laughs> Nature is seriously the way that animals have adapted structurally and behaviorally to the world that they live in thousands and thousands and thousands of years before we were even around never fails to boggle my mind. And one of my favorite things is elephant graveyards. Hold on. I'm not a goth. <laughs> I don't just love death. <laughs> and what's a goth music? Um, nine Inch Nails. Cool. <laughs> I can literally say I've never heard anything by the nine... No, he's helping because nature binds us together. It's human nature. So elephants... Someone sent out the goth signal. I had to respond. <laughs> I know oh, I look reformed, ben. but it's still in there. No, you're never quite reformed, are you? The theory behind elephant graveyards is that they all go somewhere to die and then grieve. Cool, I guess. <laughs> wow, elephants are mad goth. Um, however, the truth behind elephant graveyards or the hypothetical theory is that elephants actually, because they move in herds, wait until they're elderly, can no longer eat properly. Now, the thing with elderly elephants is that by the time they reach their late stages of life, they're on their sixth set of teeth. They get... Six sets of teeth. I've got some in the audience nodding, like, woo! Elephant teeth knowledge! <laughs> Hell yes! <laughs> See you at the convention later. Um, but yeah, it's true. They get uh, six sets of four teeth throughout their lifetime. If they're lucky enough to make it to their old age, by the time they reach that six set of teeth, they're pretty done. And elephants need to shear through lots and lots of quite dense vegetation in order to eat and to help fertilise the ecosystem they live in as a keystone species. Now, what happens is all the elephants in the herd know that that elderly elephant is getting on a little bit. And so they lead them to a place where they know the food is softer, where the ground is marshier, where everything's just a little bit easier, and then they let them pass away there. And so that's why often lots of elephant bones are found in one spot, hence the term elephant graveyard. Now, I ask you, have you ever heard of anything so nice that humans have done for their elderly? <laughs> no. My grandma is in a home at the moment, and it's a very nice home, but it's made her meaner. And she told me the other day that I had Satan in me. <laughs> Joke's on her, because I've never had sex with Satan. So, Or as Satan calls it, sex, sex, sex. You're welcome. <laughs> I'd like to talk a little bit about osmoregulation. <laughs> no, 
That's not an alien sidekick of a lovable character. Wow, I've been awake since 5.30am. Um, <laughs> cool. Uh, Osmo regulation is how animals like seals manage to find fresh water out in the ocean. Now, they're not just out there all day hunting for fish, running into David Attenborough on his boat filming Blue Planet 3, where he allegedly cried because of the beauty of nature. <laughs> David Attenborough rules. Um, no, they, they basically, they do need to take in seawater, otherwise they'd all dehydrate. But they have glands behind their eyes that help seep out the seawater and retain the freshwater within. Whoa! That's so cool, but it does make them look like they're crying. Do you know why humans cry? Because the end of Game of Thrones wasn't very good. <laughs> That's right, some of you amongst here are in that group. I know that. Yesterday I cried because I got an email that didn't say thanks at the end of it. <laughs> I maintain that we are all dumb bitches. But you know who isn't? Seals. I'd like to bring your attention to one of, I suppose it's like one of the major storylines in people's lives a lot of the time. And in our media, in the stories we're told, Human mating. I'd like to draw your attention to an animal known as the antichinus. Now, this is a little marsupial that's found right here in Victoria. Have you guys all heard of an antichinus before? One person. Yep. Yeah, great. <laughs> awesome. An antichinus breeds using what we call semel parity, which basically means they all breed at the same time, and the males of this species fuck themselves to death. Nice. <laughs> they quite literally breed and then an enzyme releases itself into their system that causes insane stomach ulcers that kills the antichinus so that the females can then go about their lives. <laughs> End of story. <laughs> Now I ask you, can you imagine a world <laughs> where you could get yourself a man <laughs> who you could fuck <laughs> and then leave knowing that his life's purpose was done? <laughs> Some of you have already imagined it. The antichinus is an animal we can learn a lot from. <laughs> and we all stand a queen who fucks her mate to death. And then what they do is they have extra babies so that some of those babies... Hold on, this isn't something I'm necessarily standing. But so that those babies, there's more of them, so that any predators nearby can come and take those babies. So the left... I know. Look, it sounds rough, actually. Um... However, the first bit, you all love that, so. You bunch of horny murderers. Anyway, speaking of mating, whoa, what's up with the giant panda? You guys heard of the panda? No one has said no, so I assume you all have. They're like, I've read a book. Um, so pandas, as we all know, have you ever got a friend who's like really like indecisive and like a bit like, mm, 
Lane, no, no. Oh, I don't want to eat there. It's bad. No, don't make me. That sort of stuff. Like, oh, I don't know. It's too cold. That kind of stuff. That's what pandas are. Like, that's, that's how I see them as, right? And, and most of the stories you've heard about them are true. They do find it really hard to breed. They never really go into estrus. And get this. The females won't go into estrus unless they know there's, like, more than one male competing over them. Um, who loves drama? <laughs> pandas. My point is, is that nature picks the animals it likes. And I don't think pandas are one of them. That's just my theory. I think they're great. <laughs> However, they're not breeding. And part of the reason why is because they're like, mm, I don't know, not enough boys are looking at me. <laughs> I just think oh, that's just in there as a treat, you know. <laughs> you guys get to know a cute little fact about dirty little real housewives of pandas. Anyway, um, <laughs> my point is, is that nature has gotten a bad rap from my colleagues here tonight. I'll quote Anna directly now, because I wrote it down as she said it, before I knocked over Jess's wine. Things got a little crazy. If it's made of chemicals, we can control it and make it better. Um, uh, wow. Fascist. <laughs> control it and make it better? If I had a boyfriend who was speaking to me about like that, I would, as Lizzo said, what did she say? Just get out of there, girl. That's not okay. We know that control is not okay because we just heard about a parasitic wasp and a gigantic monstrous pig who will surely eat us all. You thought you were safe in your homes, but you are not. Super pig is here to ruin your lives and your marriages. Anna also said, if nature had its way, we would all drink water and go to bed at sundown. Wow. Somebody loves King Street on a Saturday night. Am I right? Someone loves partying in the CBD. Anna, don't shame me for wanting to live a healthy life. She said having woken up at 5.30am and moved in all day and already had two beers because moving is hell. Anyway, I'd like to draw your attention to one more thing that nature does really, really well, which is just deal with bad press. Now, a lot of the stories you've heard about animals do come from TV and movies, but it's more than that. It's embedded in mythology. It's embedded in really old fables like Aesop. It's embedded in fairy tales. It's embedded in even in Bible stories. We've projected a lot of emotions onto animals for many, many years. And it's time we stop. One of my favourite animals in the world gets the worst possible reputation, and that is the bat. I love bats. Not only are they spooky... It's October. For those of you listening to the podcast, it's October right now, so. They're spooky, but they're also amazing. They're pollinators, they're a keystone species in some areas, they're responsible for get ridding of, getting rid of excuse me, thousands of insects. Without bats, we'd all be like, whoa, I love living in a house made of mosquitoes. Look, I'm not fire today, but as Lizzo said, that's fine. 
no one can judge me in this room except for Lizzo. Yeah, bats are amazing and they get this bad rap, you know? The same as black cats. You know in Europe in like the Middle Ages after the Salem Witch Trials because King James wrote that book, Demonology, he was like, also black cats are bad. And so they just went on and straight up drowned them. Boo! Rude. But bats get a really bad rap. I'd like to point out something to you. There's a very strong theory that bats and humans have a common ancestor. An insect-eating placental mammal, which is all you guys are. You're not better than that. That's what you are. I'm not trying to win over the audience. I'm trying to alpha them, Anna, because I've learned from nature. I've seen that documentary about chimpanzees. So the next time you watch Forces of Nature and you see Sandra Bullock and Ben Affleck going at it like the disgusting monkeys they are, you think to yourself, Batfleck and I, we have something in common. An insect-eating placental mammal that roamed the earth over 60,000 years ago. I hope you feel good about yourselves. That's what Lizzo would want. And it's what I want. I don't remember anything I just said. Good night. Brianna Williams. Mostly Brianna Williams. And some beer and Lizzo. So. <laughs> oh boy, good luck refuting whatever that was. Uh... <sighs> Never know what you're gonna get at sci-fi. This is exactly why the chemists don't like the biologists, by the way. You can just start talking about animals and everyone loves you. We have to actually do work. She does love animals. Oh. What a <laughs> oh god. I'm just gonna bring Ben on next. Uh, look, he's an actor, a comedian, a writer, a game designer, nerd for all seasons, hosts the nerdy impro comedy Dungeon Crawl, which is live action Dungeons and Dragons. Any D&D fans in? Yeah, you're, you're, you're sci-fi types. His award-winning audio comedy, Night Terrace, has just been broadcast on the BBC, which is pretty cool. Did you, did you hear that? Approval? That's the sound of approval. It's also the sound that Yoda makes. He co-hosts the Terry Pratchett book club, Pratchett, Excellent pun. And his favourite dinosaur is Stegosaurus. Make some noise for Ben McKenzie. All right, welcome. Yes, my name is Ben McKenzie. Hello. I just want to clear something up. Um, while I am indeed Ben McKenzie, I'm not that other Ben McKenzie, the more famous one who stars as Jim Gordon on Gotham. Uh, it's very important that I clear this up because even though that show has finished now, Ben McKenzie, the other one, still doesn't have a website, so I still get some fan mail that's meant for him. <laughs> Uh, it's mostly from very young aspiring actors who want me to cast them in the show in the role of Robin. And of course I reply to them saying as, as gently as possible, of course not, that makes no sense, he hasn't even been born yet, do you know nothing about Batman, do you not understand the difference even between an actor and a casting director? Do some basic research! <laughs> but just as those young acting hopefuls are wrong to pin their dreams of superhero stardom on the wrong and slightly petty Ben McKenzie... <laughs> The affirmative are wrong when they assert that nature knows best. And perhaps the wrongest of them all so far is Brie Williams. 
Well, look, it's true, Bree, because you, you tried out a lot of examples that really don't help your case. I mean, you based a lot of... You, you bookended your whole entire argument with the film Forces of Nature, which is not only 20 years old, but also has a rating of 45% on Rotten Tomatoes from 65 reviews. I did my research, Bree. It's a terrible film. And you also... You, look, everyone loves animals? Sure, sure. Everyone loves... Some animals, Brie. But what were the examples that you gave us? Dead elephants? <laughs> crying seals? Antichinuses who fuck themselves to death? Pandas who die before they can fuck? Nobody loves those animals. That is like, that is like, that is a goth roster of animals. And as an ex-goth... I can tell you, nobody likes us. No one at all. Except other ex-Goths, am I right? Yeah, we're like a mafia. You need an IT problem solved, just get in on the goth circle. We're like role players, we're secretly everywhere. If you, if you know a challenge rating, you can get in. Anyway, that's, that's too deep a cut. Now look, sure, some of those animals are nice, and we do like them, even though they're, you know, they like to wear black and hang out in the cemetery, but... We don't like all animals. Nobody does. Some animals are shit. Wasps, geese, unless they're starring in an award-winning Melbourne video game. And even that goose is a horrible jerk. That's why we love them so much. You know, we also hate other animals, those little dogs that just yap all the time, saying, please kill me, I have birth defects because you assholes bred me wrong. I feel sorry for those guys. I mean, I love them, but I hate them at the same time. And you do too. We don't love all animals. That is not an argument for why nature knows best. Nature makes mistakes. I mean, you even talked about keystone species. You didn't tell us what that is. A keystone species is a, a species of animal or, or plant, I suppose. Let's not be, you know, kingdomist. But <laughs> a species of animal or plant that has a, a disproportionate effect on the ecology and environment around it. That is a shit idea. <laughs> What if something happens to that keystone species? The whole thing falls over. Nature, what are you doing? What? You're drunk. Go home. <laughs> Spread the authority and the influence out over more people. Have some redundancy in your system. Talk to the goths in IT. They'll help you. <laughs> but look, that's not the only way in which the negative have been wrong. All right? And I want to clear something up. Like I just insinuated, saying that we don't think nature knows best does not mean that we are not nature lovers. Everybody loves nature. They do, of course. Just think about it. It's not just about animals. We all love the warm embrace of the ocean in the summertime, the caress of a cool breeze in the summertime. I really hate summer, so I'm trying to think of things that help me get through the hell that is to come. We all love, you know, the, the sweet sting of the cuddly little bee. Oh, that's... Maybe that's just me. Um, I'm just trying to put a positive spin on it. I would die if that happened to me. I'm very allergic. But look, we all have a relationship with nature. We do. It brought us into this world, and by God, it'll take us out as well. But like any relationship, it's, it's not perfect, right? Nature is like that friend, John, who always has an opinion about everything. You know John. You know. It's all he, and it is always a he, right? never admits that he doesn't know something. He will certainly not concede he has made a mistake and he always has an opinion about everything, right? 
Anyone can see that he's wrong, not even when you have looked up that thing he said on Snopes and very patiently sent him the link without even using here, let me Google that for you.com. <laughs> but will he, is he grateful? No. Will he admit defeat? No. He still thinks glasses are liquid and that your hair and fingernails continue to grow after you're dead. Stupid John! <laughs> now I'm aware this means that having used this intro to my arguments, you will savagely correct me if I make any mistakes. <laughs> But I'm a science comedian and I'm used to getting those instead of heckles, so it's fine. I'm, it's a risk I'll take for the good of our team. But anyway, nature is like John. It never admits mistakes. It just goes right ahead and builds on top of them and keeps going. And I should know, I'm one of them. We all are. Anyone here over the age of 35? Anyone? Me? Yes, I am. You know what? We shouldn't be alive. Humans aren't designed to last that long. That's why your teeth start falling out. It's why everything starts going wrong. It's why you can feel my skull really easily. It's just not designed that way. Right? The same... We, we have existed beyond those... that expected human lifespan, right? Even though the same evolutionary processes that drove us to leave the trees, stand up straight and stop writing angry comments on YouTube also pushed us to evolve bigger brains and develop the social structures and practices that have allowed us to live a longer life. But this goes beyond that for me. Right? It's much more personal. You see, I am full of very natural things that are quite clearly mistakes and that could have and may still kill me at any time. One would expect that if nature knows best, it would construct its children in the perfect godly form, a superman, if you like. But in fact, I am like a reverse superman. He is able to absorb the radiation of our sun and transform it into superpowers like <laughs> supersonic speed, super eyes that have laser beams and can see through walls. He's totally OP if you ask me. And a mighty breath that can topple buildings. And just think about what that would mean if he'd just eaten garlic bread. <laughs> By contrast, I, a creation of nature rather than comic book writers, cannot shoot beams of energy out of my eyes or see through walls, but instead have terrible eyesight. These are not just an affectation to complete this whole Harry Potter meets Ed Sheeran thing I've got going on. They are essential for my survival. I grew up on the far north coast of New South Wales and let me tell you, being picked on for being perspectacled was much better than falling into a river and being eaten by ravenous prawns and oysters. I also have asthma. I've had it my whole life, although I forgot about it conveniently between the ages of about 12 and when there was that big thunderstorm. Oh, yeah. And then I nearly died. But you know what else that means? It means sometimes I am both superhumanly short of breath and consequently the slowest runner the world has ever seen. Seriously, I came literally last in every cross-country race I ran in high school and I am 40 years old. And when I say literally, I mean literally. Now, the closest thing I have to super breath that can topple buildings is the enormous sneezes that start around this time every year thanks to my mighty hay fever. No, the only thing I have in common with Superman is that I too absorb the energy of our sun. However, thanks to being of the ginger persuasion, the only thing I can transform it into is skin cancers and the ability to sweat half my body weight in under an hour. Now, you might be thinking that a lot of this is just evidence that my very, not very distant ancestors in Ireland had no business travelling to this side of the world. And frankly, I agree with you. <laughs> but there are other examples that affect not just me, but the entire human species, every single one of us. Unlike other animals, we don't produce enough vitamin C or get enough through our typical diet, which affects our immune system and contributes to our susceptibility to catching colds and other viruses. 
Our sinuses are arranged in entirely the wrong direction now that we stand up straight, meaning that the snot generated by those colds doesn't drain out and we get terrible headaches. We have a vestigial appendix in our gut which no longer serves a useful purpose, except maybe as a conveniently sudden, painful and potentially fatal disease that has saved many a soap opera writing room who are out of ideas. <laughs> but let me ask you, is it really any more plausible than the things that happen on Neighbours? This week on Neighbours, Toadie's dead former wife returns to Erinsborough. Susan is coached by Carl to do a tracheotomy over the phone for the second time. And Paul has a sudden and potentially fatal medical condition caused by an inflammation in a vestigial organ at the end of his intestine that his body doesn't even need. They were really stretching it on that third one. But that's just humans. Let's go back to animals. You know, for every elephant graveyard, seal making David Attenborough cry and Antichinus having a fatal orgy... Other living things are having it even worse than us. You know the giant squid, one of my favourite animals on earth. I love it. I love it so much. But it has a brain shaped like a donut. And in the middle of the donut, there's not a jammy centre. There's an esophagus. When the giant squid eats, its food literally passes through the middle of its brain. So if it gets a bit sad and eats a bit too much, like, you know, all of us do, it doesn't feel better it gets a really bad headache. And in extreme cases, brain damage. <laughs> and then there are the terrible ways in which nature has shaped a little, sometimes not so little thing, called the penis. <laughs> now, getting an unsolicited dick pic is gross. But getting one from an Argentinian lake duck... Or a common house cat? Or an echidna? Is horrifying. I mean, yes, they technically work nature, but without going into it too much, they work by basically preventing someone from leaving, and I don't want to go into this too much. But it is not okay, nature. That's fucked. And Brie, I see your panda, and I raise you my favourite example of nature not getting things quite right. One of my other favourite animals, New Zealand's kakapo. Oh. This is an endangered, enormous, flightless ground parrot. Don't bring the kakapo into this. I, I will, because I love them. Justice for kakapo. But, but nature did not know best when it made the kakapo. All right? All right? They did not take them in a useful direction for their own survival. One of their defensive instincts, when they are threatened, <laughs> is to climb a tree and jump out of it. <laughs> and in case you missed it earlier, they're a flightless ground parrot. Apparently they've forgotten the flightless part. I mean, they do live for a very long time, to be 90, so maybe their memories are going a bit, but still... Right? That's not the worst of it. In the wild, female kakapo only have a mating season when they can eat their favourite fruit and get a hit of that sweet, sweet sugar from the rimu tree. Right? The rimu tree only flowers every two to five years. And we wonder why there's not so many kakapos around. I mean, yes, it's also because of feral cats. Let's not, <laughs> let's not discount that. But still, they weren't doing great to begin with. But this is my favourite part. Male kakapos attract females to mate by doing a sound call 
that is known as booming. It's called booming because they make this incredibly low and very, very loud sound that can travel for kilometers and kilometers, really, really far. But because it's so loud and echoey, the females that hear it can't tell where the fuck it's coming from. (laughs) And they walk kilometers and kilometers, sometimes to an empty nesting ground where they just sit around going, fuck, I wish I had a GPS. Kakapos need find my friend. Or Tinder, I don't know. They need something. What they don't need is nature. Now, I'm not saying any of these traits necessarily are inherently bad or that they don't work, but I don't have to say that, all right? I have to say that they're not the best, and they're not. I mean, nature at best has a 50% success rate. And you know what? Peas might get degrees, but they don't earn you the title of best. Try again, nature. Thank you. (laughs) Benjamin McKenzie! Are you ready for your final speaker for the affirmative tonight? Because, good, that's good, because that's what we're, we're having. We're having the final speaker of the affirmative. <laughs> Jess is a stand-up comedian and she is a lawyer. Uh, she was part of the first all-female team to make it to the Australasian debating grand final. Yeah. Debating nurse in the room makes some noise. Hey, I beat Gundagai High School once. Good for you, Ben. That's a fair comment. (laughs) You've still got a nice skull. That's fine. Uh, She also debated at the World Debating Championships and in the middle of the street, usually with parking inspectors. She performed her solo show, Gestation, about parenting, politics and storytelling and the moon at the last uh, Melbourne International Comedy Festival. She has two little kids who tell her to save her jokes for her comedy routines. Make some noise for the first speaker of the affirmative, Jess Meyer. Thank you very much. Look, at the outset, I want to commend the negative team uh, for taking a kakapo approach to this debate by just climbing to the top of something very high and jumping out without the ability to fly. Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go straight in. Atlanta told me she wanted me here to sledge, so that's what I'm going to do. Uh, look, I'm going to start out um, by telling you some things about what the negative have said and why they're wrong, then I'm going to recap what we said. <laughs> as best as I can. Uh, <laughs> look, all right, let's start out with Anna. There, there are five points that Anna made that I want to cover tonight. The first is that she said that chemists make nature better. She said that if it was up to nature, we would be drinking water and going to bed at sundown. Chemists just take credit for nature. Like, Anna tried to take credit for wine. You know, last time I checked, wine was just off grapes. Like, (laughs) science, you know? Second, Anna tried to say that chemists give us food. And she talked about something, I think it was called, like, the Harbour Bridge process. Uh, She said it was like an industrial chemical reaction in a big vat, which I assume happens on top of the Harbour Bridge. Uh, And now I understand why Sydney people are so tanned. Uh, Anna suggested that we all go and lick tree frogs. Obviously, Brie took that a bit too far. (laughs) And then Anna, finally, she made fun of organic products. But organic products are actually proof that nature knows best. 
Do you know how much the deformed organic apples cost at series? You know? <laughs> they look like Bob Catter if he took off his hat. <laughs> and they're going for $46 a kilo. Nature is making money. <laughs> And then we had Ben, the second speaker of the negative team. Ben said, as his first argument, that nature needs a little bit more redundancy in its system. Nature is full of examples of redundancy, including, for example, people with red hair who can't handle summer, who are very allergic to bees, who are asthmatic and who have falling out teeth. <laughs> I didn't say that last bit. <laughs> There's your redundancy. Uh, <laughs> second, Ben argued that nature is an over-opinionated friend. Let me Google that for you, Ben. Nature is always admitting mistakes. It's called extinction. Dodo bird. Mistake. Gone. Tasmanian tiger. Mistake. Gone. I don't know. Our team. Mistake. Gone. <laughs> Ben's third argument, and possibly his best, was that it's tough to be a giant squid. <laughs> Food just goes right through the middle of its brain. <laughs> it can get brain damage just from overeating. We've all had food coma, Ben, and I regret nothing. <laughs> Look, a final little cheeky argument that he made was about the inefficacy of Kakapo dating methods. To me, kakapo booming sounds a lot like dating apps. You make a lot of indiscriminate noise and then you go to a place to meet someone and they're not even there. <laughs> so now that I've thoroughly destroyed the negative team, <laughs> let me recap about what we argued. Eddie showed you the depth of human stupidity. Well, we all did. Uh, he also... <laughs> he explained that we need to check our ideas against nature to see if they're true, and he also mentioned wandering wombs. If anyone has seen my womb, uh, please give it a pat and take it back to the coat check. <laughs> then we had Bree. Um, Bree doesn't feel bad about herself for anything. <laughs> Bree also explained that elephants take each other to soft, grassy places and lie down to die just like our prospects of winning the debate. <laughs> now, I'm nearly done here, but I just want to leave you with a note of caution. Alistair, this lovable Canadian man. If the news has taught us anything this year, it's that pigs are enormous now. <laughs> and that the internet is riddled with compromising photos of lovable Canadian men. Don't trust him. Jess Moya! Did you just blackmail Alistair? <laughs> is that what's going on? That is... That's next level. We're up to our final debater for this evening. How do you feel about that? Yeah, yeah, you wooed, fine, okay. Uh, I'm just going to keep going. Look, Alistair is a comedian. He's a Canadian. You've 
heard about that. He's generally quite a pleasant person. He's written for Mad as Hell. Uh, he's part of the Stupid Old Studios outfit and uh, recently performed a duo show called Magma with Andy Matthews, which was very good. I imagine I didn't get to see it. Um, one of my favourite Alastair facts is that he participated in a clinical trial where he put his arm into a casing to feed mosquitoes with his bare arms. If, <laughs> if that doesn't earn you Australian citizenship, then I don't know what should. Uh, please make some noise for Alistair tremblay Burchell. Thank you. Thank you. Now, before I start, how many, how many seconds are there in eight minutes? How many? 480. Okay, hang on. All right. All right. How many seconds are there in uh, eight minutes? Nothing. Argument one. For the podcast listeners. Oh, yeah, for the podcast listeners, I was talking to a, I was asking a plant. It's a shame that we have to destroy this team so thoroughly. Um, but, you know, look, they tried a little bit. Um, let's see now. They, 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 Eddie came out and he did a one... And I thought it was a very funny uh, bit that he did. His main argument, though, was that uh, science and logic are nature. There you go. That sounds right. Right? And music is rocks and love is mayonnaise. Right? <laughs> sure. Science and nature. Science and logic are nature. Nature is, nature is what you overcome, what we had to overcome in order to create science and logic. Right? That's why there, there, there's no great, you know, logicians inside volcanoes. There's no incredible frog scientists deep inside shrubbery, right? And there's no philosophers that emerge... No, wait, there's no great... What's this? Inside of a... What is this? I don't know. There's no great philosophers inside of the mouth of a 900-kilogram pig, right? What I'm saying is that where nature is too powerful, we can't come up with these things, right? Um, now, Bree... Uh, Brie came up here, and I thought she did some. Uh, she had some uh, great things to say. Uh, the, I think the crux of her argument was that uh, animals do coo cool things, <laughs> right? Prove me wrong. Hey? Prove me wrong. Well, I mean, look, they they do do nice things, but does that mean that nature knows best? I mean, there are also other creatures like the bed bug, which uh, has to breed through a pr process known as traumatic insemination, <laughs> right? Which is where the female of the species doesn't have genitals and the male has to take his insect penis and crush it through any part of the abdomen and then just shoot in there. Now, is that nature knowing best or sort of nature sort of figuring it out along the way? I'm not sure. Um, Jess came up and, you know, she was very nice. I mean, I think the crux of her argument is that they were losing. Um, uh, 
I mean, she also, I think, you know, she, I think she said that something in there about wanting to put Bobcatter's face in her mouth. Um, <laughs> also, I want you to know that your, your argument that, like, that, that nature, uh, you know, fixes things with, with extinction, and you mentioned the Tas Tasmanian tiger, we did that. <laughs> that was us. That was all. That was humans know best. <laughs> right? And before you accidentally, you know, you try to catch me on this, uh, this argument that uh, humans are part of nature, I am sorry, but we are closer to the angels than we are to the beasts. <laughs> All right? Now what, now what nature, what the problem with this whole thing is, right, nature knows best, is that nature doesn't know anything. <laughs> Right? And so I think my, my first proper criticism here should have gone to uh, the topic tonight for being creationist. No. I mean, nature doesn't have anywhere to... Like, I mean, nature has information. You know, it's stored in DNA and RNA and things like that. But it's not aware of it. It's not... It doesn't... can't use it. I have lots of books about music. Right? But I don't know Elton John, you know? There's, um, there was, I did have more things to say on that. I can't remember. Right? Nature, nature just is figuring it out, right? It's trial and error. It's like, it's like the bed bug, right? It's just having a stab and seeing what it can make. Okay? Right? When, when there were those peppered moths, okay, those sort of like whitish peppered moths that would, that would land on trees and that would perfectly integrate with the camouflage, you know, perfectly camouflage on those trees, right? When, 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 when some darker ones starting, started appearing, that wasn't nature going, I know what I'm going to do, create a variety of colors, right? No. Right? It was just it was just an accident, and those darker moths were mistreated by the lighter colored moths for being different. Right? But luckily a whole bunch of industrial pollution came and darkened the trees, which made the lighter colored moths very visible to birds. And then those darker moths survived, whereas the lighter moths went extinct. Right? I mean, technically that's probably another achievement of ours. <laughs> But what I'm saying is that nature doesn't have a plan, right? It doesn't know anything. Uh, it's just filled with, uh, with, with a whole bunch of self-serving creatures. That's what it wound up creating, right? And, and what's great is that sometimes those self-serving creatures all work really well in an ecosystem that has, you know, a plant with a, with a, a you know, a, a, a tube that has a moth with a long nose, right? And it all sounds so beautiful and things like that. <laughs> But what happens with creating a whole bunch of self-serving things is that at one point you create, uh, you know, a, a self-aware creature that is so self-serving that it eventually puts so much carbon dioxide into the air that uh, it creates so many feedback loops that it's going to destroy all life on Earth, um, turning Earth into Venus in some way. Right. Um, um, Nature did that. That's not us. I even... <laughs> um, 
Nature did that by putting us there. That was their job. And then we've just finished the job for them, right? Um, what we've done, right, the way in which we can prove that we know better, right? We recently created, uh, this is incredible. We, uh, we recently created, uh, a, uh, like Google recently created a quantum computer, right? A quantum computer that was able to solve a problem that would take one of the fastest supercomputers 10,000 years to solve, right? Now, now we've done that. Uh, but we've done that with the help of those supercomputers, right? Now, nature didn't do that. Nature would have been able to solve those problems like a human would have been able to solve those problems never, right? Probably never, right? Uh, and it took nature, like let's say if nature was to take credit for this quantum computer, it took it about, what, 1.7 billion years to create it? That's way slower than the computer, <laughs> right? And then, and then the... The only other creature that it has, that it's created, that is even capable of counting, is the horse, right? <laughs> right? And it can only go up to six, <laughs> right? And then you would have to create a whole number system and base six in order to make it work for the horse, and the horse isn't capable of that. Um. <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is that we, with our uh, means of creating synthetic things, uh, are way better uh, than nature in our ability to know things, especially with the way that we have a brain, right? And that I could solve so many problems, right? For example, uh, the elephants who, you know, uh, have six set of teeth, right? Watch this. Seven set of teeth. <laughs> right? <laughs> Here's another idea, right? Here's a way you could improve nature. Horny pandas. Do I get Fixed. to rebut this at any point? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then those, uh, the, those anti-kindans? Those, those men who die after sex? All right, that's, a, that's an example of nature getting something perfect, right? <laughs> but it still stands that we... It took a mind to recognize that that was perfect, and nature doesn't even know. So nature does not know. It is just something we endure. <laughs> Thank you. And his plant. Look, it's, it's been a weird evening, I, I'll say it. Eases uh, and points uh, from, uh, I picked up from where I was sitting at the back of the room. Okay, so Eddie went after the ancient Greeks. And look, they've had it coming for a while. I mean, what did they ever do for us? <laughs> he then used astrology, phrenology and numerology to attack the opposition then undermined all of those, which I think means he likes them. It's a very cunning strategy. I don't understand it, but that's fine. I'm sure others do. Anna asked you all if you liked chemistry, and you replied with an enthusiastic, ah, which was mean. Um, it's literally the story of my life, though. <laughs> she will meet the biologists out the back for a fisticuffs. <laughs> Afterwards, uh, then she went on to say Mother Nature has never won any prizes. You know who has won prizes? 
pugs. And I'm not going to say anything else, really. Then she invited you all to lick tree frogs. And I'm not sure if that's a compliment or an insult in Finnish, but it's definitely one of the two. Uh, now, Bree does not apologise for anything. It's actually not true. I apologise constantly. <laughs> I'm a woman in this society. <laughs> it's No, don't groan at me. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I was going to say not apologising was an interesting way to interpret feminism and there are many ways to interpret feminism and some of them are wrong, so... <laughs> there we go. Uh, she then told everyone that she was alphaing them, which I'm pretty sure is not how you're supposed to alpha people. <laughs> I'm just very honest. <laughs> just a really good communicator. <laughs> I hope that works out for you. Ben told everyone in the audience who's over 35 that they should be dead. It's a strategic move. Then uh, he listed all his flaws, which I think is where you're going wrong on Tinder, Ben. That is. Jess did very well despite being entirely covered in wine. And I'm still not sure what Alistair did. So that brings us up <laughs> to now. Okay, it is over to you. If you believe that... The affirmative convinced you without a shadow of a doubt in your mind that nature does know best. I want you to start cheering for the affirmative. <laughs> I can literally hear some boos in there. I can't believe nature lost and it has red pandas. <laughs> if you thought tonight's superior team were the negative, make some noise. Normally, I would get everyone to do that again, but I feel like you've made your minds up. I would like to award tonight's debate to the negative. You have been an absolutely delightful audience. Can I have a round of applause for all of our debaters tonight? Enormous thank you to Rob on sound, to all of the Howler staff. Thank you so much for having us. This event is being recorded as a podcast on Climactic FM. If you just decide you want to listen to the whole thing again for some inexplicable reason, uh, we will hold Sci-Fi again here at some stage uh, when they forgive us for the last one. So check out uh, Sci-Fi on Facebook or our website. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Give it up Good for Atlanta Polly, ladies and gentlemen. Good night. Ah, oh, pretty good, eh? Not too bad. It's so fun to bring you these live event recordings. Thank you so much to Atlanta. And yeah, Rob, the sound guy at Howler, for giving me such a good quality of recording to play with. Uh, sorry if this one was a bit long on the editing front. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Draw the curtain back. It's Friday, and these go out on Sunday, and I'm just getting into the edit now. Uh, it's been a busy, busy week. So I hope you enjoy this extended climactic episode. If you've got an event coming up from a group you're part of or something you're arranging yourself and you'd like to have it captured for posterity or at least so you've got something at the end of the event to point to and send to people and say, look at this thing I did, uh, just get in touch with us at hello at climactic.fm. And we've actually got a brand new feed coming very soon that'll be dedicated to live events, recordings from them, adaptations of them, 
just all things live from across the climate community, whether that's sci-fi, science comedy debates like this, or panel discussions, uh, talks about renewable energy, a range of events on there, all the way from the dry, nitty-gritty, all the way to the fun and fanciful. And we're currently looking for a name for this new show. So what would you call a show all about the live events from Australia's climate community? Have a think on that and shoot me a message. I'd love to hear it. All right, without further ado, thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you again next week. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective, a podcast network dedicated to lifting the voices of the climate community. You can find out more about the people behind Climactic and all the shows we produce at climactic.fm. We are a social enterprise podcast network, and we greatly appreciate your support. You can find a link to our Pausable where you can support us directly in the show notes of this episode or from our website. Thank you for listening. And from the whole Climactic Collective, keep up the great work and take care of each other in these climactic times. The Climactic Collective. Collective.